We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. So it's page 1174, page 1174, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read it for us. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we meet you at the start of a new academic year and we say, would you come and have your way with each one of us this morning? Would you help me as I speak? Would you help each one of us listen to what it is that you're saying to us as individuals and as a church? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love this letter to the Ephesians. When I want to be reminded of who I am, when I want to be reminded of who we are, I come back to this book of Ephesians. I marinate in this revelation. I revel in this uh, revelation. And today I want to speak about a peace. I wonder how peaceful you feel at the start of uh, new academic year. Often um, I can feel a little bit overwhelmed, you know, I've got no idea what's, what's coming in the year ahead. And sometimes uh, even holidays, they can challenge uh, peace as well, can't they? Uh, l- last weekend I was on holiday with my brother in Italy. And I'd arrived in this town and I was checking in uh, by myself to this hotel and I'd arrived at what I thought was the hotel, and um, this person came up to me, and he said, actually, you've, you've come to the wrong place. Um, the hotel manager, he keeps the wrong address on the website, so people come to the wrong place, and then he can charge them a late arrival fee. He's, yeah, I know. Uh, he's a very uh, rude man, he's a very arrogant man, and he's a very dishonest man. And he said, let me put you on my moped, let me take you to him. And I began to lose my peace. (laughs) And then there is Brexit, dare I say it. Whether you want no Brexit, hard Brexit, soft Brexit, 
or al dente. <laughs> it's, it's hardly a picture of peace at the moment, is it? You know, peace doesn't just happen. You've got to give peace a chance. Wilberforce, he, he threw the kitchen sink at slavery. And Martin Luther King, he didn't just sort of wander or dawdle into Washington. He, he marched on Washington. And how do you? How do you produce people that judge others not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character? How do you produce people that are at peace within and at peace with others? Because we are prone to selfishness, to intolerance, and to prejudice. I find it very, very interesting that uh, people are re-engaging with the work of George Orwell. And he's a man who has some really, really interesting lessons for us to hear at the particular cultural moment that we find ourselves in. And one of the lessons that he has um, is really a sort of a very cynical view in Animal Farm in the book Animal Farm, where he talks about the problem of human nature. He says, by all means, have a revolution and create an egalitarian society, but soon you will discover that human nature will work against your very well-intentioned efforts. You know, those signs that read, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. It's the same message in in William Golding's Lord of the Flies, where he says that if you shipwreck choir boys on an island paradise, you won't find a perfect society of peace and goodwill and harmony blossoming. No, you will find tyranny and hate and barbarism and murder coming out of those angel faces. St. Paul, too, is a realist. He acknowledges human the human condition, and the, the ability for us to create a new society is not actually within our own human competence. Back to verse 1 from, from last week. And Paul says, humanity is dead in transgression and sins. We, we're powerless to do anything ourselves. And for all the apparent progress and enlightenment of the past few centuries, we've endured a really bloody century. And the liberal international order, it's rattling at its hinges, and the walls are coming up. We see tribalism, we see uh, division within political parties, within families within political parties. And and the fruit of the way that we're living our lives in the 21st century is leading us to to isolation. But the the racial prejudice of, of the Jews and the Gentiles that we read about in this passage, it makes the divisions that we have in our day look like child's play. The Jews, they, they practice voluntary apartheid to keep themselves unpolluted by the Gentiles. How do they live? Well, it was, it was forbidden to, to shake hands with a Gentile, to give him good advice, to, to eat with them. Rabbis, they forbade our Jewish midwives helping Gentiles in childbirth. You know, when Romeo and Juliet got engaged, the families didn't hold an engagement party, did they? They they held a funeral. And so you've got this electrified barbed wire fence around the Jewish people, preventing any mixing at all. We read there in verse 14 that there was a, a dividing wall of hostility between these two people. And so what we've got here, this is an ideal test case. Test case. Because if, if 
Jesus can break through this division, then he can break through any division that we experience today. And Paul, he says, remember. He says, remember a lot here. He says, remember, firstly, remember what you were. Remember what you were. There in verse 11, he begins, he begins describing how the, the Gentiles, uh, the, the, the non-Jews, they were, they were on the out. And look at the, he's got five different uh, disabilities there that he lists there in verse 12. He says, you are separate from Christ. You are excluded from citizenship in Israel. Foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God. Good old Paul, keeping it light. But Paul, he's, he's, he's not being harsh here. He's wanting to um, remind the people of who they were, what they were. Remember your condition before Christ. Remember what life was like before you met Jesus Christ. Because we forget. We forget that this is our story as well. At its heart, the gospel, it's not life optimization primarily. It's not making a good life a little bit better. It's not even going from from bad to good. It's taking us from death to life, from enemy to friend, and uh, from alienation to reconciliation. So how do you? How do you produce people of peace? Our world is seeking external solutions to an internal problem. And what this world needs, it needs to be able to love others and and love in a way that is not possible within its own strength. St. Augustine, he said that the the only one who can remake a human being is the one who made them in the first place. So remember what you were. That's the first thing. Remember what you were. The second thing Paul wants you to remember is what Christ has done. Remember what Christ has done. And so that, that wall around the temple in Jerusalem, actually there are lots of walls, lots of division, lots of hierarchy going on here. And they've, they've dug up the signs that were outside those walls. And the signs, they didn't say trespassers will be prosecuted. No, they, they said trespassers will be executed. God never asked them to do this, by the way. But the, 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 the temple was a reminder in Jerusalem to those who were on the out. It wasn't a reminder like, say, St. Paul's Cathedral is today of, of British stoicism and, and good luck during the Blitz. No, it's, it's a reminder that you were alienated from God's people and that you were alienated from God. You know, this wall was only about five feet tall, but it may as well have been 500 feet tall. What do we see in verse 13? Uh, we see, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then down in, in verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So circumcision here is it's no longer the mark of the covenant, but the, the cross is. The cross is, and, and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Verse 18 here, it's actually one of the very few places in the entire Bible where we explicitly see the, the Trinity being uh, described. And this is how God reveals himself. This is um, how he works. 
is how he shows us what he is like, what kind of God we're worshipping. That he reveals himself by dying on a cross. And because of that, each one of us, we are given access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. So remember, Paul says, remember. Remember. Remember that actually we, we did worse than create a dividing wall, didn't we? We actually chucked Jesus outside the wall. We chucked him outside the wall of the city. He was despised and rejected. In in Jesus, he, he bears the punishment that any one of us would have got by entering the wrong part of the temple, by being totally cut off. And any oppression... Any oppression or hostility that you and I have faced, all of that is placed on Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, he's spat on. He's cursed. He's bruised. He's beaten again and again and again and again and again. And then he was violently executed. And some of you here today, some of you, you have suffered. You have faced oppression through absolutely no fault of your own. And what Jesus would say to you this morning is, me too. Jesus says, me too. And this is, this is what happens when we, um, this is what happens when we decide to kill God. This is what happens when in our pride, in um, wanting to run our lives ourselves. This is what happens, that all the hatred and bitterness and hostility, all of that anger, all of that resentment that we project onto others, all of that anger and hatred and resentment and hostility that we project onto God. What we see in the cross is that Jesus, he absorbs all of that. He absorbs all of that hostility, all of our hostility. And what does he say? He says, I love you. And all are Welcome. The cross it has a it has a vertical line, and it also has a horizontal line. We are brought near to God. We are also brought near to one another. And so, when when Paul says in verse fourteen, when he says, um, "For Jesus, for He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." When Paul says that, this is not an academic exercise for Paul. This is not a thought experiment or some sort of hypothesis that he's coming up with. We see in the book of Acts that he's taken an Ephesian Gentile. And he's taken that Gentile, a man called Trotimus. He's taken Trotimus through the wall and he gets arrested. So Paul, he's in prison because he's determined to show that the wall had been destroyed by the cross of Christ. That's what we see in, chapter, um, in the next chapter, verse 1. 
And then have a look in, back in chapter 2, um, in verse 14 and 16, and we see, we see that word hostility, that word hostile. Now, that's been our nature. Our nature is to be hostile to one another, hostile to God. And what Paul describes here is reconciliation. Not just to God, but to each other. In verse 15 and 16, he says, Jesus' purpose, his agenda, his reason for coming, the why he did what he did, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross of Christ, by which he put to death their hostility. The opposite of hostility is peace. Verse 17, he came and preached peace. What did Isaiah call Jesus? The, the Prince of Peace. What did the angel say at his birth? Peace on, peace on earth and goodwill to all. Jesus, he made peace at the cross and he preached peace. What was the first word that Jesus spoke to his disciples following his resurrection? Peace. So we, you and I, we, we get to that point in the service and we don't say, I respect you, or even I tolerate you, so magnanimous. No, 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 we're, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus. We go much, much, much further than that. We say, peace be with you. And so all of the isms, all of the isms, ageism, sexism, racism, any kind of ism or schism, all of them, they find their match in the cross of Christ. No more male or female, no more Greek nor Jew, slave nor free. Don't give yourself or wear or accept any label that, that pits you against or defines you against uh, someone else. No more hostility. No more I'm this and I'm not that. Enough. Jesus, he offers you something far more beautiful and something more profound. Because you and I, we're made for more. And where we as the church have failed on issues of justice, it's when we've failed to remember what Christ has done. And it's when we've failed to digest the full fat of the gospel. As we fight injustice, we fight division, with nothing more and nothing less than the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the same with every kind of division. It's the same with every kind of hostility. And each of us needs the cross of Christ in equal measure. A little, bit of, a little bit of sin or a lot of sin. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Remember, Paul says, remember what Christ has done. What has Christ done? He's destroyed the barrier. He's done something destructive. He's destroyed a barrier so he, he can create something new, so he can be constructive. He can do something positive creates new blood brothers and sisters with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why this peace is so surprising. Because Jesus on the cross, he reconciled the two most hostile groups in the history of this earth. And he said, I'm making you one. An entirely new people, central to his grand plan to unite all things together in himself. And so we, 
We, the new people, the people of God, our identity, our characteristic, where it once was alienation, it was once division, our characteristic is now unity and peace and reconciliation. Because you and I were made for more. Paul, he was arrested. He, he went to prison for this truth. It cost him his freedom. I wonder how important it is to you and me. If we are the people of peace, how do we help bring about unity at such a time as this? It will mean each one of us asking the question, how can I, through, how can I through what I pray and how can I through what I say bring healing? How can I bring healing through what I pray and what I say? It's a tragedy that so often the church is divided when our defining characteristic should be peace. And this, this changing, that starts with you and me. It's asking, do I ever, do I ever, 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 do I ever, ever look down on another Christian? Do I ever look down on another Christian for whatever reason? And if we do, we, we need to repent. We need to let our minds be transformed and renewed by Jesus. You know, we need to be people that listen very well. I understand that's quite rich coming from someone with a microphone. But we need to be people that, that listen well, to have a, have, have a posture of seeking to learn from one another. But by far, the, the, the biggest way, the biggest way that we do this is by remembering what we were and by remembering what Christ has done. And that's where the freedom comes. That's where the peace comes, knowing the peace of God ourselves so that we can be at peace with him and at peace with each other. Thirdly, Thirdly, remember who you are now. Consequently, in verse 19, Paul writes, Consequently, so therefore, because of what Jesus has done, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And this is what Jesus does in bridging the gap between divinity and humanity. In, in this verse 19, Paul, he uses two different metaphors. He talks about being a citizen. This, this language of the Roman Empire, this, this sense of being part of something bigger. You know, the Roman Empire it would stretch as far as you could imagine in each and every direction. And Paul is saying, you are part of something far, far bigger than you can imagine. You are a part of the church, something even more important than the Roman Empire. You have the privilege of, of being um, a follower of Jesus, connected throughout the world and throughout history with other followers of Jesus. But he also talks about being part of, of something small, being family, being God's family, and not being a lodger, not being a guest, not being a visitor, but being part of God's family. And this very intimate language that he's using here. And so when I think about the church weekend away or, or focus or coming here on a Sunday, there's that sense, isn't there, of being part of something bigger, but also being a part of something smaller. 
And that's why connect groups are so key. To be journeying with people that really know you, that really love you, that, that treat you as family, and call you to be a person who lives from a place of peace when whatever it is that's going to be thrown your way this year is thrown your way. Can you imagine, can you imagine what might happen if we as individuals, as we as a church might, if we fully got this, if we, if we fully understood who we are? You know, on a Sunday, we'd, we'd not just look for the usual suspects, the people that are like us and talk like us and dress like us and come from the same backgrounds, same interests, same life stage. No, 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 we, we, we are followers of Jesus. You and I were made for more. When I don't remember these truths, when I forget where I've come from, when I forget what Christ has done for me and who I am, I will become careless and snobbish and lazy. And in so doing, I'm directly working against the cross of Christ. Because this is what he came to do. He came to pay for our sins. And he came to reconcile us to each other. He died to break down those barriers. So remember, Paul says, remember. And, and, and Paul, he, he shifts from, from looking back at this moment to looking forward. And he, he uses the image of a temple. A temple. At the, the center of Ephesus uh, was this temple for Artemis. And it, it totally dominated the city. It had 58 columns, and uh, it was one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. And right at the very center of the temple was this statue of Artemis, totally dominating the city. And so when Paul says temple, this is what they think of. But Paul was saying that the temple is actually, it's not that and it's actually not even the, the temple in Jerusalem either. The, the temple in Jerusalem, it was an imperfect place. Gentiles were excluded. Women were excluded. The temple of Artemis, it, it would be destroyed by the Goths in the third century. And the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in uh, AD 70. But now, Paul says, now we are the temple. So it's actually unscriptural for you to think of yourself as on the out. You must now think of yourself as being part of the wall, as being very in, intrinsic to the very structure of the church. Have a look in verse 22. It says, In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And so the walls of this building could come crashing down. And yet we would still be the church of God. Because God, he doesn't live in holy buildings. He lives in holy people. Now those of us who've put our faith in Jesus, those of us who've individually encountered God and have received the Holy Spirit. But the church is not just a collection of individuals of people that have the Holy Spirit. We are now the very structure by which God lives in, by his Holy Spirit and where people can encounter God. And that's why Alpha is so effective. Because people come in here and they, they come into the context of the church, you, you and me. 
They come in and they experience the love of God. They experience people who have encountered God by his Holy Spirit. We the people, we are the church of God. We are the people where no one is excluded and everyone belongs and will never be destroyed. Not with a dead statue at the center, but with the living God at the center. When the Roman Empire fell apart, the church remained and it held things together. And over the past thousands of years, empires that have had their moments in, their, in the sun and earthly kingdoms have come and gone. And even if our society, even if our political system as we know it today falls apart, the church will remain, as it always has, outlasting and outshining everything around it. For we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. At Focus, we had a time of uh, praying with each other, praying for our church, praying for the world beyond these walls. And uh, we had a time of asking God for pictures and for w- words of knowledge. And, and the one word that I got was the word common. Common. Here we are on Clapham Common. Um, but I, the sense I had is that we are to be people that are very uncommon. We are to be people that are, are not like the world. And the only thing that we are to have in common, the only commonality, is Christ our Savior. What do we have in common? Christ alone, cornerstone. The stone that the builders have rejected has become, verse 20, the cornerstone. And Jesus, he will also write to the church in Ephesus, and he will write in the book of Revelation to the church in Ephesus, and he will say that you have forsaken your first love. He's saying, just stay close to me. Be obsessed with Jesus. Be in love with Jesus. Live only ever all for Jesus Christ. For he himself, we read from Paul here, he himself is our peace. And Jesus says, return to the things you did at first. Return, repent, remember. You and I, we need to make this year only and all about Jesus Christ. And if it is Jesus that is uniting us, then what unites us is infinitely greater than what divides us. Jesus Christ, he is living at large in Clapham Common. And especially when we come together, when we gather with the cross at the center, people will see the the vertical link of peace, of connection, of closeness to God, and the horizontal link of connection to each other. And so this year, people, they're going to go from hostility to peace, from alienation to reconciliation, because they will encounter the living God by his Holy Spirit. This is who we are, and this is what we do. You and I were made for more. And so I'm excited that we're going to spend another 365 days orbiting the sun, orbiting Jesus Christ, people so caught up in his peace that we reveal his presence to the world, that in us, in the church, people might find a place of belonging, of encounter, and of transformation with the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you like to stand?